0: Welcome to Future Thinking Now, the podcast for businesses who are looking to turn around or simply embrace the future customer now. Today I have the privilege of interviewing Martin Gilcott. Martin has been drawn to sustainability and carbon reduction, having seen the opportunity build on a valuable business niche there. He recognised that many businesses were attempting to solve similar sustainable problems independent of each other but there was no online community which connected them and collectively solved problems. This thinking led to the founding of Two Degrees Community in 2008, and by 2011 it was the world's largest community for sustainable businesses with offices both in the UK and US. Martin's also involved in Manufacture 2030, which is a d- digital subscription-based platform to help companies cut their costs, reduce risks and minimise environmental impact through better supply chain and cross-industry collaboration. He's been quoted as saying, By becoming part of Manufacture 2030, every business agrees to adhere to what is called the Golden Rule Charter, i.e. the OEM won't come after the supplier's savings and any gains in the supply chain absolutely remains with the supply chain. Otherwise, the platform won't work. Thank you so much for company, coming on Future Thinking Now at Rethink Podcast. It's such a delight to have you on, Martin.
1: Pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting
0: me, Rashmi. <laughs> so you recently inspired uh, my Yorkshire Post column a few weeks ago discussing about the SME and sustainability. Because I had seen you on the panel, our speakers at the IOD, talking about sustainability in the future and changing and what I thought about was specifically that in this season on Future Thinking at, uh, podcast, we are talking about technology and sustainability and how we move forward in the future. So, really, Martin, with your key belief um, at, to the heart of sustainability and revolution and the web technologies, would would you say that businesses play? You say businesses play a major part and a major role in accelerating that process. So, do you think? that all business sectors are fully awoken to that idea or are there some still giving lip service?
1: Oh, wouldn't it be lovely if they were all on board, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have the worries that we still have. I mean, we, they can't all be on board. We are still heading to a future which will see global warming of well over two degrees. That's our trajectory at the moment. Um, what has happened though, is that there has been a fundamental shift some industries are all industries i should say have some leaders and pioneers in them that are embracing sustainability fully and are getting a competitive advantage from doing it but not all industries um, are doing it to the same extent Um, in fact the numbers the numbers of companies who um, are responsible for the vast majority of the carbon emissions are really quite small. I mean, you know, are talking a few hundred represent um, a very, very large percentage. I can't remember off the top of my head, that percentage but it's absolutely enormous. Um, the petrochemicals, the oil, the coal, the heavy industries of aluminium smelting and steel manufacturing, they really have a long way to go. And then there are some closer to home which also have a fair way to go. Um, or certainly a very significant part of uh, the human footprint and our carbon emissions sit there. So agriculture is one. Um, you know, There's a lot that has to happen in agriculture for us to get to a world in which we are at less than 1.5 degrees centigrade of global warming.
0: And they're, they're, uh, they're notorious um, for it because they, um, all they see, and a lot of SMEs, um, not just agriculture, but a lot of SMEs, all they see is that initial outlay of costs and that high risk. Um, And it's an element of trust and belief in that financial benefit as well to them, because at the end of the day, it is finance.
1: Yes. And it's about imagination and about, um, and you and I have chatted about this before. It's about having a different perspective on the challenge in front of you. We can stick our heels in and resist change or we can see the inevitability of change and we can lean into it, as they say, yes. and understand and look for the advantages. Um, but it's more difficult if you don't have time to reflect about your business and your market. And so therefore SMEs very often where your owner managed and the owner manager is working all the hours just to do business as usual and keep the boat afloat, often it's very difficult for them to, to find the space um, to understand the opportunity and then therefore to, to seize it. So it's very, it can be very difficult for SMEs.
0: I, I agree. And I think, um, and I would apply this to most organisations, including SMEs, that you almost need, um, just for a short period, you need a think tank. Yeah. Somebody to come in or a company to come in to be that think tank, to help you see your customer and where, at your, where your customer is actually going or has already gone. Yeah. And you have to meet them and actually be at the front gate to welcome them. Yeah. yeah,
1: I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's very interesting to talk about the customer because, of course, most SMEs operate in a business-to-business world. Yeah. You know, the, if, I, if I step away from, let's say, retail and leisure, if you're talking about outside of retail and leisure, the majority are in other people's supply chains, yeah. one sort or another. And what we are seeing is that the very large investors... Um, pension funds, organisations like BlackRock have absolutely woken up to the imperative of sustainability. They're beginning to embrace this idea that, in a way, there is no such thing as sustainable business. If you're not sustainable, you just won't be in business in 10 years' time. It's, so they've absolutely woken up to the long-term impacts and, and increasing short-term impacts on their investment that's taking place. And they're putting pressure on the big public companies. And the big public companies in turn are now beginning to put pressure on their suppliers. And, of course, in that supply base to those large large public companies are a lot of SMEs. And, you know, they're increasingly either feeling pressure or opportunity from their customers, depending on how they want to respond to it.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's true. It's how it's how you choose to respond to it. And you have to have that faith. and You have to have that. And you have to bring the right advisors in to help you yeah you you can't you can't do it yourself i think and um you're right a lot of the uh, larger organizations are looking at their supply chain and going almost like a three-tier service um uh, platinum gold and silver or, or what have you yeah, saying see. um do you uh, can you be a preferred supplier Do you fit with us in the sustainability and if you're not then actually i'm sorry we can't do business with you anymore even though we've enjoyed our relationship um but perhaps these organizations can talk to their supply chain and say um okay do you want to change is there something we can do to help as opposed to just putting all the emphasis on them to change
1: yes And, and i mean you know that is uh it's in part what manufacture 2030 does is you know our platform enables very large corporations to bring together and engage very large numbers of their suppliers through the platform and help them improve. So the emphasis is on how, not just can I get data from you about your carbon footprint or your water footprint or your waste footprint and sort of just make demands on you, but actually how can I share my best practices with you so you can learn. So a really good example of that is we've just, in North America, we've just helped Honda launch out to 700 of their suppliers. And there are some very big companies in there, like Lear Corporation. And there are some, you know, family-run, one-site manufacturing, you know, in in Idaho or in Mexico or wherever it is. Um, And there are a lot of those. And one of the things that Honda are doing as part of the program is they have tens of thousands of uh, what they call lean practices that are suitable for manufacturing sites and that will reduce the carbon, the waste, the water, the energy use and they're sharing that expertise through their plat- through the platform uh, with their suppliers.
0: Which is, which is ideal because um, yes, uh, B2B, and if you are working collaboratively, which is a key fundamental thought of yours as well, um, we will be able to develop and move quicker into the future and bring everybody together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, and that, that that applies to definitely the sort of example I gave where Honda are sharing their operational know-how with their suppliers who are less, obviously less well-resourced. But it's also absolutely almost the other way around when it comes to product development. Um, Honda and large corporations like them are, are often very dependent on SMEs to come up with the breakthrough innovations that are out of the box that are left fields that are going to change change the world tomorrow and that collaboration both sort of if you like operational knowledge down to the sme and product and service innovation back up to the large corporate it's uh absolutely key and and having trust sufficient levels of trust to be able to work together in that way is critical
0: Absolutely. And they're probably reliant on the SME because possibly the SME is a smaller vehicle in in an organisation structure type. So they're not that big oil tank that needs moving around and takes time. But also they have that ability, that time that we talked about before, um, having time to think because you so need to think in order to create.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and often the SME... uh, Innovation often comes from necessity, doesn't it? Yes. And very often what you've got is you've got a small business that realizes it will go out of business unless it makes a breakthrough, thinks differently about its problem. And it can move very fast. Whereas, of course, a large corporation has a lot of sunk assets and costs that it just has to keep ticking over and it becomes much more difficult for them.
0: Yeah. So was, what's was interesting was pre-COVID-19, some of the companies had began to sort of what I would say lead the way. Um, and there had been an acceleration of movement of funds and investments from carbon initiative industries to renewable energies, which, you know, from my perspective, was good. Um, as a business level as well, there was movement from policy and strategy to implementation to supply chain. And going beyond audit, but since the pandemic, people's priorities have changed. Um, it's something I've talked a lot about um on how um the consumer and employees um and other businesses their behaviors have changed. But do you think sustainability people still believe in it now, or do you think that they've put it back on the back burner? Um And I say this, but in the backdrop of a recent report that was conducted by Boston Consulting Group on um, sustainability uh, and in that they said, quote, businesses have had a shift or have had to shift their attention to more immediate needs. For some, that means protecting their liquidity and subsequently drawing down on their revolvers. Concerns that were dominant within the industry from sustainable materials sourcing and carbon reduction to workers' rights have been regulated to secondary considerations, um, at least in the short term. What do you think?
1: Well, so um, who am I to disagree with Boston Consulting Group? Um, I I don't totally disagree. I think there are two things here to, to consider. One is in the immediate aftermath of the lockdowns around the world, definitely, there was a period of time when surveys like that were done where frankly people were just frozen weren't they yeah and, and so we you know we had lots and lots of clients that just froze the work we were doing for them because of the uncertainty so that's one secondly the second consideration for this and that's changed i should say that that is a thaw has now come to those areas in our experience, and not just our experience, but it is now, I think, well um, accounted for. Um, There's lots of articles in the Financial Times and publications like Bloomberg Green showing actually how uh, sustainability is picking up momentum. And we'll, we'll come to why in a second. But the other thing I think we need to consider when we think of that survey is that this particular recession that we have is very uneven. So if you are in hospitality, you're in level in leisure, you're in the you know airline industry. If those are your industries, um, well then I think for quite some time the only thing you're going to worry about is survival. If you're in the music industry or in the arts or theatre, mm-hmm. I mean all you care about is survival. Outside of that, um, the recovery for you know the recovery. Maybe it's not the right word. I would say that sustain the sustainability has gained in importance. It is more important than ever. Um, the and that's because I think COVID has changed the way we look at the world. We realise that nat- natural disasters, which are you know, are uh, threats that are off balance sheet. They're not the normal consideration yeah. for a business that we thought we could ignore. I think BlackRock, the investor calls them gray rhinos. You know, these are huge, great challenges, massive risks in the room that we ignore because, well, you know, it's sort of beyond my imagination. I mean, it's never happened in my lifetime before, so why should it happen? Now what's happened is COVID is, we have seen, we have witnessed, we've experienced the complete, complete collapse of the global economy inside a few months, like that. And we recognize that if it can do that with a little virus, this thing called climate change is so much bigger and so much closer. And the two things are not unrelated, that uh, pandemics and the increased frequency of pandemics is growing across the globe, just like the increased frequency of uh, major storms and disruptive weather, weather. And that's all being driven by climate change. As the climate warms, mosquitoes carrying malaria move up away from the equator. They move further north and further south. So it is um, increasingly apparent, I think, to large businesses. So if you're not so threatened by the recession that you just have to batten down and try and survive, what you realize is that there are some really big risks that are no longer distant, no longer outside your imagination. They feel very real. And so uh, investors and Boards of companies are doubling down on their efforts of sorting out uh, their risks. I absolutely basically.
0: agree on that because um, it has, yeah, there has been quite a lot of mention about um, further pandemics coming mm-hmm. our way. Um, I agree that in this um, unusual recession, we have, um, as you said, it's an uneven territory. Uh, so you, you're quite right and what was interesting of what you said about how sustainability has gained momentum i have actually noticed um quite a big change um happening uh in the fashion industry right. which is one of the ones i didn't anticipate happening because it's always been such a difficult one to do yeah but i think because of uh the inability to travel around yeah. so they're no longer doing all these fashion shows the consumer on um, different ages so it does depend on the age but a lot of their consumers so their buyers have changed in their thinking because suddenly the planet has become more important yeah. during lockdown to us
1: yeah it has
0: so yeah there's been a there's been a variety of uh, of changes there. yes and
1: i think we've also experienced clean air in our cities haven't we yes and and birdsong in the mornings. I mean, it's, you know, I gather in some towns they've had deers coming in. That's and, you right. Know, we suddenly realise nature is all around us and it's we who push it out and we quite like it. Yes. So there's quite, you know, there's a lot. And then add to that, the Greta effect. We cannot ignore the the, the impact I think Greta had in mobilising young people in particular Yes. over the last couple of years. And that is now coming through in a wave of, you know, what were 16, 17, 18 year olds who are now becoming young adults with consuming power who are particularly you know, interested in fashion and bringing a new lens to what they buy? Um, in a way, I think that generations never did in the, you know, in the recent past, at least even have never done.
0: Yes, and they have a lot of power. They've got the power and the ability of how they spend, how they spend their time um, and also how they vote. So yeah. uh, the power is, you know, to underestimate them w- would would be foolish, I think, from any organisation. On that, um, so really, I suppose sustainability is becoming part, and still is part, or should be part, of most organizations' long term legacy. Really, in in their process. So, Martin, you 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 talk, and you you have been doing for the last ten years, if not longer, about collaboration, which is something we talked about um, earlier. So collaboration is a key point to success and that 80% of costs and risks sit with a business in terms of their suppliers. Again, we were talking about the supply chain earlier. Um, How is digital technology reducing that risk? Um, And again, this is with reference to Manufacture 2013, which coincided with its um, set to achieve the UN's global goals and sustainable development. And perhaps you can tell us, our future thinking listeners, more about Manufacture
1: 2030. Sure, sure certainly I'd be delighted to. Um, so I guess we, I started on a journey about 12 years ago. We, we set up an incubator that was looking at uh, what we saw as the sustainable economic revolution that was going to come, that would be inevitable as the population moves to 9 billion and, the, more importantly, the middle-class consumer grows in numbers from a one or two billion to five billion. It's absolutely clear that the resources of the planet come under extraordinary stress. And that in turn puts stress on us. We consume our natural capital at our peril. So we have to change. So it was very apparent from that. I spent a, ty- a lot of time with um, some environmental scientists who made it absolutely clear the world, we have to change the way we behave. That is inevitable. So, I then we set up this incubator to, to see how we could um, bring together sustainability and the challenges of sustainability with technology and we did various things, but what the one that start, struck us as most valuable was how we could use social tech, social media technologies to enable large scale collaboration The revolution the sustainability revolution is particularly and, and the timing of our society is particularly well suited to these collaboration technologies. Look, we're experiencing them now, aren't we? We are. You know, we are using remote technologies and, and it's exploded all over, the, all over the world and companies like Zoom are doing incredibly well. Um, but you know what we realized was that part of, much of the challenge of sustainability is to do with the challenge of the commons. In other words, these are assets things like clean air, clean water um, that no one person or one organization or even one country owns. They are held in common. And to be able to manage them appropriately and sustainably, you need to collaborate. So you need collaboration at a level you've never had before. So that's a sort of background to why collaboration is so important, but at the same time in, in supply chains, collaboration is becoming increasingly important. But it's also becoming increasingly difficult as we've globalized and our point of supply has become more distant, more remote, mm. maybe uh, less permanent I mean, maybe we don't have we have a larger number of impermanent uh, relationships and there's a lot of flux and movement and knowing what goes on is incredibly difficult so you've got a need to collaborate because it's a common problem we're trying to solve. And you've also got a way of doing business now with globalized supply chains, which makes getting to know each other face-to-face very much more difficult, more expensive. So technology clearly has a role to play in reducing those costs and the distance and the time and enabling that collaboration to take place. So we've been working at this for about 10 years. We've run very large programs for uh, Tesco and Asda and Unilever where we brought hundreds if not thousands of suppliers together on the platform, where they could share their knowledge and understanding of the challenges and coordinate and agree policies on how to address things like food waste or plastics waste or so on. And that that was a good business in itself. But in that, while we were doing that, we realized that the place where we could uh, have most impact was in manufacturing supply chains. And and they represent manufacturing supply chains around the world represent you know, a third of all carbon emissions. Yes, they do. Yeah. Of all energy consumption. Now, admittedly, most of that is in the really big heavy industries, you know, the the coal processing and the aluminium smelting and that we don't really work with. But a lot of it is in the goods that you and I and your listeners you you consume every day, fast moving consumer goods, food and drink. The cars we drive and, and, and so on and what we could clearly see is that the large corporates the big brands who were beginning to be very switched on by their investors and by their customers to the need to be sustainable they were sitting on this pyramid of risk and cost and carbon that was being emitted um, and as you just quoted earlier up to 80 percent of all of their impacts aren't in their own operations, but are in their supply chains. And so we started really to focus on how could we connect up suppliers with their customers? How could we help customers understand where in their supply chain the greatest risk was? Uh, Which particular companies were advanced and pioneers and going in the right directions? Which ones needed help and support? And how we could use technology to get that support and knowledge to them uh, more easily Um, so that's what our platform does um, and it's growing really fast at the moment there's huge demand for it. it it's incredibly exciting business to be involved so
0: for our listeners um obviously there there's a spectrum of our listeners um is this something that also the sme would look to consider
1: well, so the, we have a lot of SMEs who are part of the platform. So if I take, uh, if I take Asda and Coop, uh, their food and drink supply chains are on the platforms. Okay. Probably a thousand or so sites of food processing and manufacturing, and a lot of those will be SMEs, you know, one-site yeah. companies. Um, and they're very actively involved. And what they get is the ability to uh, report very easily back to their customer, Asda or Co op. It's very easy for them to do it. And they get a lot of expertise about how to solve the problems that they have. And in solving those problems, which is nearly always the case with uh, with carbon reduction in particular, they reduce cost. So they take cost out of the business, they take carbon out of the business and they keep their customer happy.
0: And that's the whole point about sustainability, because it's um, a joint benefit really there's a dual benefit not a joint benefit but a dual benefit and the dual benefit is that from a business perspective commercially financially there is a savings and a benefit that you can then use that finance to to grow further and develop further but also the main um, benefit is uh globally the environment and also yeah. there'll be people so i always think sustainability is also people as well um and looking at them and how ha- you know Probably yeah. many in, in this as well.
1: Yes, I mean some people talk about the three P's, don't they? They they talk about people, planet, and profit. Yes, and uh, and I think that's really what what is the majority of things you could you know, in terms of numbers of things, the majority of actions you can take uh, to improve your sustainability, improve your bottom line within one to three years. Yeah, it's very few things that require very large capital investment. Um, you know so and and that does that isn't those aren't the concerns of SMEs on the whole you know if you need you know it's going to be very expensive and take a lot of investment it'll be a very profitable investment it'll take a lot of investment to switch our entire transport system to be electric to turn our grid into a smart grid to yes. you know so the, these large scale infrastructure costs are significant but the returns are massive the costs them are falling all the time but for your average business the vast majority of things you can do that will help you cut costs, help motivate your staff, keep your customers happy and cut your carbon.
0: And therefore, do you think it's really important um, for um, organisations to have a specific person on their board, um, whether it's a non-exec director or an executive director, that specifically looks at sustainability issues and how it should be implemented within the business from now on? Yeah.
1: I, I Absolutely. It's really important that somebody at a board level takes responsibility. In an SME, this works at its best when the owner manager develops a passion for this. And I can think of lots of examples, but I'll just mention one. There's a, a salad company, they make tomatoes called APS Salads. Um, and they're, they're now a pretty large business. But when they first got the bug, the owner got the bug about how important sustainability was and reducing carbon and uh, and, and energy costs and all the rest of it, uh, they were quite a small company. And they, they were did. up in Cheshire, I think, and they, make, they grew tomatoes in a greenhouse. And what they did is that they developed a anaerobic digester specifically for processing tomato waste and turning it into energy. And they used the energy to power all of their processing plant. They captured the carbon they generated in the anaerobic digester and pumped it back into their greenhouse. So it made their tomatoes bigger. They grew faster and bigger because it was a carbon rich environment, which is what growing plants like. So they had better yields from their tomatoes. They had zero energy costs, Um, no bought-in energy. They produced uh, liquid fuel, a biofuel, which they then started to uh, drive all their trucks around with, and so you can see these. At uh, their uh, intents and purposes, they look like Tesco trucks, but they used to say on them, "Powered by tomatoes," <laughs> on the side. Um, and their business grew hugely. They competed directly with, um, you know, countries like Spain, and and their business with Tesco just grew and grew and grew. It was a tremendous story, but it was all led by the passion and the vision and creativity of the of the owner of the business Um, and so in a small business when that happens you can get some extraordinary things taking place
0: and it's all about um, having that moment to stop and think um, and see the and view things differently really yeah
1: you've got to breathe yeah yeah Yeah. Um, sometimes we are so busy doing aren't we Uh, we we don't really get to think strategically about our
0: business. Yeah, which is is critical. Thank you so much, Martin, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure today speaking to you about sustainability, collaboration and having that moment to breathe in order to think about the future. Before I go, I do always ask my guests um, if they can either recommend a book to our listeners or um, a musician that they've enjoyed and listened to and why.
1: Cool. Well, I would like to, well, thank you for, anyway, firstly, thank you very much indeed for for having me on the program. It's great. Um, I would like to recommend to everybody to read Sapiens. It's a book written by a chap called Harari, um, and it's all about why is it that our particular human race, the Homo sapien, why is it we came to dominate the planet when there were perhaps as many as 40 hominid species at one point. Why did we out-compete the Neanderthal and the Denisovians and various other uh, human species out there? What, what was it about us? Because if you understand that, I think you understand something really about the essence of humanity and how we operate and how we think. And it, he's an incredibly profound thinker and it, uh, it, it's fascinating fascinating read it's beautifully written as
0: well oh well thank you so much for that that is actually she looks over her shoulder that's actually on my book excellent <laughs> good I haven't good. got round to it yet but it's, it's in that pile <laughs> so um yeah thank you so much for for coming on I really like to thank our guest today Martin Chilcott um and to find out more you can um find out about his LinkedIn profile and thank you Martin
1: Thank you, Rashmi.
0: Thank you. I've been Rashmi Dubey, your podcast host, your brand's personal think tank. Future thinking now by creating a bridge between the future and your customers today. For more information, visit www.rashmidubey.com and subscribe below to my weekly podcasts, where I interview the industry's greatest. You know not no you know not you